There's a story called The Emperor's New Clothes um, by Hans Christian Andersen, and it's one of my favorite stories. If you don't know the story, um, it's about an emperor or a ruler in this imaginary land somewhere who really loves clothes. And so no matter how um, extravagant or ridiculous his clothes are, everybody around him tells him how wonderful he looks. And so there are these con men that come into town and use this to their advantage. And so they, what they tell the emperor is that they are these amazing designers that can come up with an outfit for him that is special. It's unique. It's like none other that anybody has ever had in, their, in his kingdom. So this special outfit um, actually will be invisible to anybody who isn't intelligent enough to see it, who isn't, um, who doesn't have the job that he should, who's kind of, you know, doing something that he shouldn't be doing. So that, is, that outfit will be invisible to them oh, you know, the emperor wants this outfit, you know, he wants this special, um, you know, clothing that they're going to design for him. And, of course, they don't design anything for him. What they give him is nothing at all and tell him, oh, it looks amazing. Oh, it fits you so well. And meantime, he looks at himself in the mirror. He's naked, but he's afraid to say, oh, if I say I don't see myself in these clothes, then everybody will know that I maybe I don't deserve to be emperor. Maybe they'll think I'm ridiculous. Everybody around him feels the same way. I don't see anything, but they are not going to tell him because maybe then he'll say, you shouldn't be here. You shouldn't have the job you have. And so the con men, they get paid, they leave, and then he decides to have a parade through his kingdom strutting around in his glorious costume, which, in fact, he's naked. And finally, it's a kid who says, wait a minute, he's not wearing anything. And so that is um, the story of the emperor's new clothes. Now, you might wonder what that story has to do with King David in our new teaching series, looking at the stories of David's life in First and Second Samuel, and then also looking at his poetry um, that is recorded for us in Psalms in the Old Testament as well. So we're kind of going back and forth. Last week, Larry talked about um, David's early life, um, recorded for us in First and Second Samuel. Today, we're going to kind of look at the Psalms and what we learn from that. Last week, Larry talked about how David's life is a conundrum for us. You know, we have a hard time looking at David's life and figuring out can we say he's good or bad? Because when you look at David's life, at sometimes he's extremely honorable, even heroic, and at other times extremely selfish, um, abuses his power in some terrible ways. And yet, David is referred to over and over again as a man after God's own heart. So what is it about this man that makes him different in some way, that he's referred to especially in this way, you know, nobody else in the Bible is, is mentioned as being a man or woman after God's own heart. And I think that the answer for that, we have to look in the Psalms. Because when we read through these many songs and poems that are written by David, we see a man who isn't afraid to be honest with God about what he's feeling. In Psalms, David speaks he sings directly to the creator of the universe without fear. 
And he shares with him his anger and his disappointment in God. He shares his despair at times. He is incredibly emotionally honest. He doesn't have a relationship with God where he just tells God what he thinks God wants to hear from him. And he doesn't tell God things that make himself look good all the time. Instead, he tells God what he truly is feeling. And when you read through these psalms, we see how we can approach God as well. They're so important for us to read so that we can get comfortable as well with the emotions that we all feel, but we rarely talk about. Can we talk about these emotions? Can we be vulnerable with God about these emotions? So several of my favorite Christian authors, um, N.T. Wright, Walter Brueggemann, and Eugene Peterson, they've all written books about the importance of the Psalms for Christians and believers in the church as a body together, for us to be reading them regularly. And they talked about how it's something that for generations, followers of God have done. They've used these Psalms in a way to connect to God. So these poems, of course, were written by different men and women Um, Many of them by David, but not all of them. Some we know who the authors are, others we don't. And so they were, for generations, just written as a way to praise God, a way to pray to him. And then later, in Jewish history, when you look at the Old Testament, you will see that um, there's a time when the Israelites, the Jews, are living in exile outside of Israel. This is far after David's reign. And that is when all of these poems are compiled together into one book that we know as the Psalms. And why they were compiled is because these people, they needed something to regularly hear from God and one another about how to cry out to God. And so Jewish leaders would sing these psalms, the happy ones and the sad ones, to one another as a way of encouragement, and it was vital to their spirituality. And we know that Jesus would have been raised hearing these psalms during his life, and that's why we see him, as you read through the Gospels that talk about Jesus' life, oftentimes he will quote the psalms in different occasions in his life. But today, The regular reading of the Psalms has kind of gone out of fashion in the church. We don't read them as often. We rarely teach them. And even in our worship music, we kind of stick to the cheery ones, the ones that talk about joy. And so these these authors that I, I really respect, what they wrote these books on was what happens when church communities neglect the Psalms. And what happens is oftentimes we become less honest. I don't mean that we start lying to one another. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean that we can't really share the hard stuff, the emotions that aren't really pretty to talk about, the anger, the doubt, the fear, humiliation that each of us experience. But we don't really talk about that to one another and certainly not with God. And as a church, sometimes we don't even talk about those negative emotions. We try to keep it light and happy. Without the Psalms, we forget that those emotions, those 
negative emotions are actually just as safe to share with God as the more positive emotions. Now, I don't know if you were raised in a church family um, or your family in particular, maybe even your culture, um, that there's this kind of unwritten expectation that when people ask you, how are you doing? How was your week? That kind of the expectation is that you will answer that with a cheery or a positive, you know, answer. I'm doing great, right? Um, I, I find myself sometimes just going immediately to that. When people, how was your week? Oh, it was great. You know, how are you doing right now? Great. I just got in a fight on the way to church, but yeah, I'm doing great, you know? And I realize, yes, I get, on, get in fights on the way to church sometimes. Um, just like I know you all do too, right? Nobody's, nobody's pretending here. We all know this is true. And, um, but I just so easily go to that. And, I, and sometimes I'm answering and I'm like, I'm not being honest right now. And I struggle with that. Um, I, I think, what do you want to hear? You just want to hear that I'm happy. And that isn't even necessarily true. I think I am safe here to share when I'm not doing okay. And yet, still, my habit is to just go to the happy. Can we be honest about how we're feeling? All of us have struggles in our life, things that we are struggling with. Can we be honest about that with one another and with God? I watched a wonderful short film this week um, that I highly recommend for you guys to Google. Um, so it was this interview or the, just this conversation between two very unlikely men um, talking about the importance of the Psalms. So the two guys um, that were talking was Bono, um, the lead singer of um, the rock band U2, and Eugene Peterson, who is a author, um, pastor. He translated the entire Bible into the message. Um, maybe you have read the message translation. It is probably the most modern English-speaking translation um, that we have. It was translated in the last, I think, 30 years. Just an um, incredible man of God. And so these two um, got a friendship together. Um, I guess Eugene Peterson didn't even really know who Bono was. Um, but Bono knew who he was, and they um, formed this friendship. And so they got together to just talk about the Psalms and Peterson's beautiful home in Montana. And there's um, a lot of great things that come from that conversation. But the thing that struck me the most or that stuck with me the most was something that um, Peterson said about the Psalms and the value of the Psalms. He said that we all need to learn to cuss without cussing. To God. And that's what we see in the Psalms. To cuss without cussing. Now I know that some of us have learned not to cuss, maybe. Um, some of us are very good at cussing, um, but cuss without cussing, that's a new one. That's hard. But that's what you see with David. That anger, that frustration. He is just so angry and just cries out and questions God. And he goes there so vulnerably. And that stuck with me because I have been raised in this, this um, culture, I think, that is, doesn't let us go there. Doesn't let us say those things. Keep it happy. You know, I, I even saw it today on Facebook, somebody um, who had cancer and said, 
you know, let's not be a baby about this. Um, Jesus, I'm going to heaven someday. Okay, yes, I believe that. But it was like this idea that you can't, that it's complaining to be honest about negative emotions. And I'm sorry, but that's not what we see with David. He isn't afraid. It, it, it isn't like, oh, no, am I complaining here? Because we see both the negative and the opos- positive emotions um, honest with God when he, he's writing these, these poems. And I think when we are so afraid to be honest about those negative emotions as Christians, we just kind of sanitize everything in life, what's going on in our own life, but also what's going on in the world. There are things to be angry about in this world, and it is okay to say that. We don't have to sanitize everything. And when we do, we actually become inauthentic. And people see that, and they realize that we aren't being honest with ourselves and certainly with God. Last week, Larry talked about David's early life and how for years he suffered injustice and violence and danger year after year, crying out for God to take him out of that situation. And I haven't ever experienced that personally, violence and been in danger, but I know there are so many people in this world who do. And it's okay to cry out to God about that. And that's what we see in David's life. He cries out about the situation and his feelings of terror and pain that keep happening to him over and over again. And we see these this combination of positive and negative emotions. He's honest about how bad it is, and then he's able to also say, I return to you, God, in praise and gratitude and in worship. And I think there's this fear that we were, I have been taught anyway, that um, if you let yourself go there for too long to the negative feelings of sadness and anger, that you won't be able to feel joy or happiness. But that isn't really what we see in David's relationship to God. I think what we see is that it's his freedom of sharing the honesty of his emotions that actually allows him to be able to feel the joy and the gratitude more fully. So this morning, we're going to just look at some psalms of David. Um, Before we look at a psalm of gratitude, I want us to look at a psalm where David is just really honest about what he is suffering, the feelings he's feeling. And so we're going to look at Psalm, part of Psalm 31. Um, I'm going to begin in verse, verse 9. David says, Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies... I am the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street, they flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I've become like broken pottery. For I hear many whispering, terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. 
Now, maybe you can't relate to the situation that David was in at this moment, but I bet you can relate to the emotions. Have you ever been hurt so much emotionally that you feel like you can feel that in your bones? Have you ever felt like the people that should be there for you in your pain, they've kind of disappeared, that they can't handle it? They can't handle your anger or your pain. And that they, it feels like they, they just walk on the other side of the road just so they don't need to be around you. If that is something that you have experienced, have you been able to share that with God? We're going to look at another psalm that is attributed to David um, writing after he escapes captivity um, by pretending to be insane. It's a really interesting story that um, Larry talked about a little bit last week. Um, And in this, we see a place where David is um, able to be authentic in his praise and thankfulness. But as we read through this psalm, I want us to not lose the pain in Psalm 31, because they go together, the pain and the gratitude. And before we read um, Psalm 34, I, I want you to just think about times in your life where you've struggled, and maybe it's even today, where you went through something really tough and you still felt like God was with you in it. Or think about a time that you had no idea how you were going to get out of this situation. Illness, financial, lots of situations that we all deal with, and, you, and God surprised you. He made a way for you that you didn't see coming. Or maybe it was just a little bit of encouragement through the struggle that came from a person or a message And um, I like to think of it as a little cup of mercy that God extends to us in our suffering. Can you think of those times? So we're going to read through Psalm 34. And my hope is, is that we're going to just kind of do this together as a way to use the Psalms to pray, to connect to God. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to break it up and read through it in sections. Larry's going to pass out um, so each of you have a copy of it. It, It's rather long, so I didn't want to make slides. And it's it's nice to hold it in your hand. Um, There is English on one side, Spanish on the other. So what we're going to do is we're going to read through it one section at a time. And I'm going to pause a little bit to give us some um, time to contemplate. And I'm going to read each section twice. Um, and I'm going to give you some prompts of how to kind of think about um, each section and that way, different ways that can kind of lead us into prayer. And hopefully um, you can use this practice with other psalms throughout your week. So this is Psalm 34, a psalm of David when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he left. So the very beginning starts, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. 
I'd like you to think about if there are any words or phrases in that section that kind of jump out at you. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. What jumped out at you? The next section, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. In this section, what does it teach us about God? Who God is? I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. The next section, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord, they lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongues from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. In this section, what does it say about you today? What does it say about you? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will tell you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. What message is in there for you? The next section says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. What emotions 
do you feel when you read those lines? The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. What visual picture does that give you? The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from all of them. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. This morning, what trouble do you need delivered from? The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked, and the foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants, and no one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. In what ways has God rescued you? Evil will slay the wicked. The foe of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him, will be condemned. Amen. So I realized over the last couple of weeks how much I personally need to be reading the Psalms. I read about a lot of leaders that I really respect and how they use the Psalms in different ways. Um, there isn't a formula that works for everyone, but I, it was interesting to read how creative um, some people try to read lots of the Psalms, make sure they um, read through them, all of them in a month. Um, others choose just seven in a whole year. But still using the Psalms as a way to really work at being vulnerable with God. And I realized I needed to do that work, to really let myself go where David goes and being really honest with his emotions. So a couple months ago, um, I got a text, and I was waiting for this text from my mom. Um, I knew that she had a doctor's appointment, and so I was waiting for the news. Uh, so I get a text that says that her cancer is back and that she's going to have to do chemo again. So um, this is a year before that. This was in July, beginning of July. A year ago, she had finished her first round of chemo, um, we thought we, you know, of course we hoped we got it all. Um, that would be the end of it. And um, her hair had grown back, you know, she was starting to feel better. And then the checkup, they found that it came back. And so in this moment, um, she sent me a text because I knew that she uh, was going to have a hard time talking to me over the phone and I was going to see her in just a few hours. And so she was kind of preparing me um, without having to tell me face to face. So I get this text. Um, 
trying to deal with the, um, the information. And I remember not that my emotions were all over the place. I didn't really have any idea what to say. What do you text back to that? Well, this is what I texted back. Um, that sucks, capital exclamation point, you know? Um, I'm sorry, Mom. That's as far as I could get to. You know, that's, I, that's all I knew to say. But my mom's response was a classic. Um, my mom's response was, yes, it stinks. Because she can't, even having cancer, can't make her say sucks or text sucks. Um, and so later, I just kind of cracked up about that. I was like, really, Mom? Come on. It's cancer. You can't say it sucks. And she was like, it really stinks. And I was like, okay, whatever. All right. That's fine. You know, you do you. It's fine. Um, so I'm not sure if my mom's learned to cuss without cussing. Um, but I realized in that moment that I really need um, to spend some time dealing with the emotions. And I really have avoided it for a while. Um, and the last couple of weeks realizing that I haven't let myself go there. Um, I don't even really know how to go to the anger or sadness, fear. It sucks is as far as I've gotten. And I realized another thing when I was thinking about that, that avoiding the negative parts of the battle what that has meant is that when good news comes, when relief comes, and it has, there, have been, there has been good news. It hasn't spread all through her body. Um, we were worried about a toxic gene that would have passed through all of us. It isn't there. That's good news, and yet I couldn't feel the excitement of that as fully because there's something to the connection of feeling the negative emotions fully and feeling the joy fully as well. And so we have to learn to do that more honestly. And so I encourage you guys to join me in the challenge of reading the Psalms more often and then allowing them to teach us how to pray more vulnerably and honestly. Because I know this is true, that God is not a king who needs us to protect him from the truth. He wants instead, what he really wants is connection with us. He can handle our truth. And also, we can remember the ways that God continues to be near us and support us and save us. And so throughout our weeks, let us do both. Let us be honest about the struggles and honest about those moments, those gifts that God gives us. Let's pray. Lord, I just, I confess that I struggle with this. Lord, I, um, I struggle to always want to keep it nice and pretty and think that that is what is required of me. And I push others to do that as well. I don't let people sit for a while in the pain. And so I just confess that to you. And I pray for all of us that we would just trust you. Trust that we can just be as mad as we really are feeling and pushing down. You know it anyway, Lord. Can we just be honest with you about it? I pray that um, we would do that work. 
because there's joy that comes from doing it. Let us not fear fear and anger and sadness. Let us instead understand that it is a part of the joy that you bring us, Lord. Feeling the sadness that we can actually feel the joy that you bring us. I pray that you would teach us that, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So each week we spend some time on Sunday remembering that Jesus left his life of power and glory, and he chose to came to a world as a baby, and he lived a life as a human, and he experienced the full range of painful emotions that we all face. And so we see him hanging on the cross. He cries out and he uses the Psalms as a way to kind of just talk to God about what he's experiencing on the cross. And he cries out and he quotes Psalm 22. And so this morning I want to read that Psalm to you. It's an amazing Psalm because not only does he use that first section, but also if you read through the rest of that psalm, you see so many um, foreshadowings of what Jesus actually, what happens to him on the cross and what he's accomplishing on the cross. And so I'm going to read that um, parts of that for us this morning. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me, they mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their head. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. And from birth, I was cast on you from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. My mouth is dried up, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and they gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and they cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him but he's listened to his cry for help. And at the end, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. <laughs> 